you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. everybody. <laughs> this will make sense later. Good to see you guys. Welcome to you guys who are here and who are online. We see this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we do that by striving. I'm pretty good at juggling this here. Striving to love, practice love with everyone always, giving more than what makes sense, chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. We're glad that you're here. Just a few things that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, We've got a cleaning day coming up here. Um, You don't have to be good at cleaning. We just need bodies. And so feel free to sign up for that. You can sign up for that on our website, online, through our text service. Uh, But we'd appreciate your help on that day. Second thing uh, is that we are doing a coat drive as we have a mission team that's going to leave to go to West Virginia. We're actually, after service today, after we dismiss, we're going to pray over them before they leave. Uh, So I invite you to stay if, if you would like to do that. But they're taking coats to those in need out there, so you can bring those things in uh, whenever you want to before the 16th, which is this Friday, an adult children's coat, it doesn't matter. Third thing is, we do this every year, it's, we do a thing called the Chase Conference, and it's a, uh, this year will be a virtual conference or an in-person conference. We will have childcare available to you, and, and what we are launching in this conference from 8 to 12 uh, is really the means of outreach of this church, which is biblical hospitality. Um, we believe that when we look at the scriptures, that the way that Jesus impacted people's lives was caring for them. And so we're going to introduce ourselves with biblical hospitality, and then we're going to try to live out a challenge, uh, because we're not going to have the feast this year. We're not going to have that great turkey, but John Hirely is going to make that smoked turkey, and we're going to challenge you to take some of that turkey for free and bring one or more of your neighbors into your home to get to know them. So that's going to be a a challenge for all of us as we go forward. We'll talk about it more later. So we're in the book of James. Obviously, this is our fifth week. You may have noticed that we have more James Bible studies out there. Feel free to take them. I I just say this. uh, They cost us like $5. If you want to reimburse us or donate for yourself or somebody else, great. If not, great as well. But we're going to be in this for seven more weeks, and we've challenged you to every week to read these five chapters. It, it's about a 15-minute read to, to read the whole book of James, and so we're challenging you that every week for the next seven weeks that you would read through this great book. So we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 today, so feel free uh, to join us in your Bibles, or it will be on the screen. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He writes, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but... If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all, of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit murder, but do, or adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act so as though who, of, as who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come under this truth today, and we just ask for your guidance in our hearts. We ask for your conviction, your truth, your love to be known. Uh, guide us into uh, a, a reality, Lord, by your Spirit, where, where we are doing less defaulting to our preferences of people and showing favoritism, but Lord, that we would see all capable of being loved by you. And so God, we just pray this through the beautiful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I sat down this week and I watched a documentary called The Social Dilemma. I don't know, many of you guys probably have watched this already. If not, I I would recommend it to you to to watch. Uh, It is a documentary that's focused on some of the leadership, former leadership of the biggest social media platforms in the world. And it's a documentary that revolves around their concern that there needs to be reform and change, widespread change across all outlets in social media. And so the documentary is far less shocking in its information and far more confirming of maybe what we already have suspected about social media, that it is not a neutral tool. And when I say neutral, I'm not saying like neutral in what viewpoint it comes from or what agenda it supports, but neutral meaning that there is an engine of artificial intelligence, AI, that's behind it with complex algorithms that have one clear purpose. And that purpose is to keep you coming back to your screens. And why would they want to keep you coming back to their screens? Well, because that's how they get paid. Social media platforms get wealthy through advertisement. And so they want you to come back because that's how they get paid. And so how do they do that? How do they keep us coming back to make more money? Well, they have studied the chemistry of the human brain to figure out what makes you become addicted to something. And to take, make a long story short, we are now living in a world where advertising agencies and companies and people are, are paying, you, paying social media to keep you looking at your screen by giving you more and more relevant content, things that you like. It keeps feeding you your viewpoints, your perspective. All the while, the AI is learning your behavioral habits and creating better algorithms to keep you online. And so what does that result in? It results in a people who become far more entrenched in conspiracy and their worldview because they never, ever see the other side. They only see what they like 
and what they want to see. We have become human guinea pigs at the hands of advertisers who want social media to change our mind. And it's worked. It has worked. The reason why this time in history feels more divided than any other time in history is because it is. And our technology has influenced that to great extents by giving us what we want. This isn't a scheme by technology to create hatred and division. It's a response, a reality that's a result of people only seeing the things that they want to see. And so as we approach God's word today and this truth in James, where, where James says, brother and sister, show no partiality as you hold faith in Christ Jesus. It feels like we can't authentically come to this truth, humbly come to this word, without first understanding and confessing that we most likely have lost to some extent the ability to do so. We have lost the ability to be impartial, to not default to our preferences, not to default to what we think is better. We can't stop categorizing people to label them good or bad. And so there's a grief that has to happen in that. And, and a prayer that God would heal us in that. I'm not here to tell you that social media is complete evil. I'm, far not, I'm not an expert. Right? I don't have those kind of credentials. But I do think that there needs to be more condescending voices in this world that makes us aware of how it's affecting our reality and bringing up concerns without it's eroding our society and its people. And so we come into the Word today understanding that we may be in a position where impartiality is harder to find today. And so let's define this term impartial, which is essentially what it means to show no impartiality. It means to be unbiased, to treat or affect others equally. And so let's just remember the context in which we're walking in today, because it's so important that we know our scripture in context, that James is writing to these early Christians who are being persecuted by the Romans and by the religious rulers of the day. They're in various trials of persecution, and James says, consider it all joy, right, my brothers and sisters, when you face these trials. Why is it good? Because God is good, and he is the, he's over them, he is in them, and he is using those trials in our humility to produce good. Now, whose definition of good has to be in mind? Because it's not about our good, it's about his good. And so, James said, count it all joy. If you're in this trial, you don't know what's happening, seek wisdom, ask with faith, believing that God wants to give you wisdom, and realize that in this moment right now that you have a treasure in your Savior, Jesus Christ, who's with you in this very moment that's good, that saved you, that gave you that gift of salvation, and he rests with you. And when you seek his wisdom, listen. Like, listen to his wisdom, believing that he wants to help. Don't come and just talk as if you think you know about God. But truly listen to his word. Come humbly to the text not with your own perspective or your opinion, but fully, dutifully listening to the God, the Word of God and applying it to our lives. Because if we are one that comes to the Scripture talking to it, it results in us growing angry. And James says, an anger of a man does not produce righteousness. Our anger revolves around our selfish pride, our wants and our desires, not in trusting that the Lord is good and He is faithful. And then he says to this church, uh, 
concerning the, the perfect law of liberty, that it is like a mirror, that the Word of God is a mirror that we should continuously look into, seeing our own flaws and our own imperfection as we listen to the Word of God, that we may fuller under, fully understand the depths in which God loves us in our imperfection and the depths in which he came to save us, that we should spend our time looking in that mirror and realizing how much God delights in his children, that we, don't, that we remember to not make this about us. That James says that true worship, true following of Jesus is visiting the orphans and the widows in affliction. It is about a self sacrificing, selfless love for others. It's not about getting your own way. And to these churches, he sows in like, hey, show no partiality in your gatherings. Whoever comes your way, do not show partiality. And so it's important to get a snapshot of what's happening in the world around James and his audience at this time and these early Christians. And so first, I want you to understand that this is being written in a day, uh, what we call the temple age. And so there is, if you read your Old Testament, this understanding that the temple is the center of people's faith. It is actually the hub of society. It is the center of commerce. It's the center of gathering. But it, even more, it's where two worlds collide. It's where heaven meets earth. Because in the temple is what is believed to be the presence of God living on earth. And so I just want to diagram this for you a little bit today because I, I think that this is a an important discovery. The temple was laid out. I feel so cool right now. Okay. So it's laid out with different courts. And so you have this first court that's called the court of the Gentiles. And anybody's allowed to come into that. That's where commerce and gathering happens. Freely coming in and out of that. And then there's another division that's called the court of the Israelites. And the only people who are allowed in there are Jews who are in good standing with the religious leaders. And so everybody's out here, but a little less in here. And then there's this room called the court of the men of Israel. And so it's only for the men who are in good standing in their religious practices. They're allowed in this space. And then there's another space that's called the court of the priest. And in that room were only the people who were deemed to be priests in that time, who were thought of as priests. They were only allowed into that room, and they presented sacrifices to the Lord in that day. And then inside of that room, there was an even smaller room that we've referenced before called the Holies of Holy. And one time a year, one person was allowed into that room. And so as we look at the temple progressively from the outside in, more people are left out. You, you can only go as you are deemed worthy of being in that space. And so what denoted somebody's worth in this time or place? Well, there's nuance in this a little bit, but, but in general, your worth was connected to your wealth, your appearance, and your birthright. And so there was a general belief in this time that your well-being, your financial wealth, material prosperity was a direct gift, favor from God. So the more that you had, the more it was believed that you were blessed and the more it was believed that you were holy because those are a sign of God's blessing to you. And so increasingly, 
Who was allowed to come near God? Those who had means. The further you got into the temple, the closer you were believed to be to God. And what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ good news is, is James is saying here, you are to treat everyone without partiality. Everyone is the same. And why is everybody the same? Because we hold faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, whom James calls the Lord of glory. So listen, in light of Jesus, don't be biased. And what makes this the good news in the gospel of Jesus is this isn't James saying, hey, be kind to everyone. Just be a little nicer to everyone. This is a complete reordering of the temple system. It's a complete redefining of what makes somebody worthy to God. Jesus says in the gospel of Matthew, in verse 12, in verses 5 through 6, he says to the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is greater than the temple. This massive building that would have been the place of honor, the place of joy, of adoration. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than that temple. Where you worship this believed presence of God in this room, I am the God in flesh. And I didn't come here to dwell with the rich and the powerful. I came to dwell with the sinners and the sick and the low and the poor. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And on the day that Jesus died on the cross, this curtain in this room ripped from the top down, signifying there's a new age. That it's not about your worth and wealth and appearance and prosperity, but it's about your humility to know that you need God and you can trust him that he's wise and he's good. That's what faith is. That's the love of God given to us. So James calls Jesus the Lord of glory, meaning that Christ is the full exhibition of God's presence and love and majesty. It is in Jesus that we can know whom God is. And not only is this an encouragement for us today, but if we understand that this is the first letter that was ever written to the church, this is 46, 47 AD, we can also understand that, that the believers in Christ assumed that there was no doubt that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, was, was God in flesh. So James has all of this in mind, this temple system in mind when he writes to that early church assembly, show no partiality to those who come your way. You need to do something different than what you've practiced all of your life. All are welcome to come to God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. It is grace by faith. Salvation is a gift, not a product of one's wealth or appearance or birthright. So don't fence your gatherings to show favoritism to the rich. Don't fence your gatherings to make this about who's important in society and letting them in. Don't show preference. Don't you remember that God chose the poor in the world to shame the rich? That he chose the weak in the world to shame the strong? 
Have you forgotten that it was actually the rich that oppress you, that have taken you to court, that blasphemy, that cursed the name of Christ who called you? Why do we show preference? There's a story of this poor woman who lived on the other side of the tracks, this faithful poor woman, and she, she wanted to join this very fashionable church in town, and so she went to the pastor after service one day, and she said, prayed, and one day when I was praying, the Lord said to me, you know, don't worry about getting into that church. I've been trying to get there myself for the last 20 years, right? <laughs> Isn't that true? Sometimes through no fault of our own, we get in our own way. Well, it is a fault of our own. And so here's what is interesting is James, who is pious, devout, uh, there is nobody that probably has lived out the words of Jesus more adequately than James has. He's martyred by the same societal system that he's speaking against today. He was killed because he was identified as a threat by the economic and social structure of that day that he's speaking against when he says this is about impartiality in Christ, not partiality by wealth or appearance or power. He was a threat. And it said that they took James and they threw him off the temple and he didn't die, to which they stoned him to death. And we think, why is it that this early church would show such favoritism to this sort of system, to these sort of people. I mean, this is the elitist system that would have killed Jesus. Why would they still show favoritism to the rich and the wealthy and the powerful? Well, let's think about it personally. Let's think about it ourselves. Why would I value someone who has more powerful positions, more money, more possession, and prestige, why would I? Like, I don't have to guess at the intentions and the desires of the early church and those who are in it because I have the same intentions and desires that they do. I don't have to guess. The reason why we hang around the rich and the prestigious and the powerful is because at the end of the day, we think that we're going to benefit from that in some fashion. That if I hang around somebody who has money, who has power, who has position, it may be a benefit to me that I may get some of those things, that my standing in this life might be improved. And so we know what's in these brothers and sisters in this day that caused them to roll out the red carpets and give the best seats to the rich and find ways to ignore those who are poor because the rich can give me worldly pleasure. It can benefit me. It can create good standing in my life. The poor are just going to ask things of me. They're going to humble me. And that's a sacrifice we are often unwilling to make. Now, it seems that there are some in this group in that day that are saying, well, in my loving of the rich, in my preference for the rich, in my greetings for the rich, I'm just, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. And so James writes here, uh, if you fulfill the royal law of scripture, royal law means the king's law. And who's the king? King Jesus. And his law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you obey, if you fulfill that law, you do well. But the moment you show partiality, 
you have committed sin. James is saying, look, you think that this is loving your neighbor by treating these people, but showing partiality is the antithesis of loving my neighbor as myself. The moment that you show partiality, you have committed sin. The moment that you have a neighbor who comes to you and you show favoritism, you have sin. Neighbor has been defined by Jesus as anybody who comes to us in need. The moment that we show favoritism, preference, James writes, you have sinned. And, and we, just as they, like we're flippant in this. Well, it's just, you know, it's just this little thing. It's just a small sin. I mean, it's not murder. I showed, a, you know, I, my friend, I gave him the VIP treatment. I know that he has means he could help me out. But James is saying that any offense to the law of God, the law of God, which is holy and perfect and contains the righteous demand of God for living, any single minute offense to that offends the whole. Just as if you were to come up here and slash my arm. You've not just cut my arm, you've offended, you've hurt my entire body. Any offense to the law, minute or small, is an offense to the whole law, and we're condemned by the whole law. So murder, adultery, partiality, they're all the same. And what that means for us is, yes, we love our neighbors, rich or poor. However, I will say this, the division today between rich and poor is much different than it was back in that day. It was strikingly apparent in 46 AD, the difference between the rich and the poor. There was no upward movement possible for them. They had little, and there was little hope of them ever getting anything more than what they had. The reason that the kingdom of God first comes to the poor is that they know their need for it. They have tasted the bitterness of the world. They've tasted the brokenness of the world, the cruelness of the world firsthand, and they have found it lacking. The rich have just insulated themselves from that truth. Today, there is still a great division amongst the rich and the poor. But it's a little fuzzier. It's not so obvious. It doesn't matter our income level. We're all walking around with smartphones. We all have iPhones. It doesn't matter your income level. You can all, through the internet, be a part of things, clubs, and, and places. It doesn't matter what your income is. You can, you can always have a, a nice-looking car. So, yes, yes, when we read this scripture, it, it is about us choosing not to be partial to those who have versus those who have not. But, but, I wonder in our flippancy in being partial and not seeing or defining well the sin of favoritism in our lives. On top of the technology that is in our lives and the realities that we have today, I wonder if the sin of partiality has created so much havoc and destruction in our lives that our partiality isn't as much rich versus poor. I wonder if our great sin in partiality is that today we simply prefer ourselves over everything else. We live in a consumeristic age that has designed everything for us. Designed it to be better, to more interactive, to please us, to give us what we want, how we want it, when we want it, as quick as we want it. It is true that we are partial to those who give us power or money or influence. But it is also true that we've grown so partial to partiality that the only thing that we really want is to be partial to ourselves. And our technology is feeding it. And our life habits promote it. So James is saying, this isn't just a little thing. 
Partiality isn't just a little thing. This is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. And so he says, Speak as one who acts are going to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment without mercy is without mercy to, one, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so what he's saying, brother, sister in Christ, friend of Jesus, treat each other with impartiality, remembering that your judgment will come from the one who gave you mercy and grace and salvation without partiality. You have come to God as a beggar. There is nothing of worth that you could give to the Lord. His gift of salvation is given to you by unmerited grace. It's a gift. You couldn't earn it. He brought you near through the blood of Christ. Therefore, we act as one who is no longer under the law because of who Jesus is and his perfect sacrifice and his righteous living. Our judgment is based upon God's mercy in Christ, not our effort. And so James is saying, act as one who knows that and remembers that. That in our mercy to others, no matter what the plight is of their life, that your mercy to them is the evidence of a heart that is satisfied from the mercy and the grace that the Lord has given to you. That he took us sinners and he justified us. That he took what was lost and he found us and he gave us life. Let us act according to that knowledge. Not to simply just bank that one day in my belief in Jesus that he's going to give me mercy on my judgment seat but rather in light of the fact that Jesus has given me mercy, I can be merciful to each other. In light of who Jesus is, the better temple, the one who came near sinners and the sick and the poor, who showed us impartiality, the one who set aside his glory and his prestige and his majesty to be humiliated in the flesh for our sins, that we remember his mercy and take that seriously. You know, the word says that when we come to faith, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Jesus, in his very last prayer before he's arrested and brought before a Roman court, he prayed this for us in John 17. He says, I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that you may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. In these verses, we're reminded of the triune God, the Trinity of God, and upon our adoption, there's an invitation by faith to join in the community of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are one in mind, one in breath, one in love, no partiality amongst them. That in our adoption through faith, we're invited through Christ to live like we belong there in perfect love, perfect contentment, and perfect impartiality. That we would grow to be one in mind, one in love, as we are impartial to one another. 
And so let us remember today the words of James. Because we far too often think partiality as something eh. But it is great detriment to us. And it doesn't uphold the greater temple of Jesus, who broke through all of the red tape and all the religious language of the day to be near sinners, the sick, the poor, like us. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you today as a generation of people who, who maybe have no idea what it truly means to be impartial. Just, we don't. And Lord, we, we live in a culture today that has compelled us and taught us to be partial to our tribe, to our brand, to our people. But Lord, you show no partiality to the world. Your salvation is a gift of grace through faith. And so Lord, help us to confess where we fall short here, Help us to confess that we have preference and favoritism for people. Help us to be convicted of the fact that we are partial to ourselves more than anyone else. And so, Lord, will you let us live a part of your kingdom today, that we would believe that we are a part of the community of God, who have perfect love, no impartiality, that we would live like that today, that we would welcome all by faith in Christ. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.